Welcome to Wind Up Weekly. I'm Matthew Gorn. And I'm Katie Canfield. And we're here to share the week's news and wine. This week on Wind Up Weekly, coronavirus crisis escalates with travel bans implemented around the world, plus many wine events cancelled and bars closed. News from the UK. There's good news, duty freeze on alcoholic beverages and fewer closures of on-premise outlets, but the bad news is that Oddbins faces the threat of going out of business. Louis Roderer buys Diamond Creek in Napa Valley. Okanagan Winery bought by founder of leading hard seltzer brand White Claw. A New Zealand winery fined 1.7 million New Zealand dollars for fraud. And as ever, our wine of the week. So we've just got back from a weekend away in Mendocino, staying right next to the spectacularly beautiful Pacific coast to take a break from the global crisis while we can. And it's quite different here, green and remote and wet too. We got caught in an intense hailstorm while walking alongside the big river, and we certainly welcomed the rain and the chance to appreciate all the beauty that surrounds us here in California. We weren't expecting to spend the weekend in Mendocino. We had been planning to attend Provine this weekend, but that was cancelled a few weeks ago. Nevertheless, I was still planning to fly to Germany on Friday, but the coronavirus crisis escalated quite dramatically this week, and so I've stayed put. Yes, you were going back and forth about what to do, Uh, but on Wednesday evening, Donald Trump sort of made that decision for you by putting out a typically erratic statement banning travel from all EU countries except the UK and Ireland, and this instilled panic and uncertainty, but it seems even Trump now understands that the pandemic needs to be taken extremely seriously. So travel from the UK and Ireland has now also been stopped, although U.S. citizens can still travel and will be screened on their return. European countries have taken drastic measures to decrease the spread of the virus, with bars and restaurants closed in Madrid and elsewhere. Most sporting competitions suspended, schools closed, and other countries imposing travel bans. And of course it's having a huge impact on the wine industry, with the forced closures of bars and restaurants, fewer people going out, and the cancellation of events across the world. Here in California, Governor Newsom uh, today called for bars and restaurants to close completely, on top of the move by San Francisco to ban any gathering of over 250 people, to close any venue with a capacity of more than 100, and to force restaurants to serve at half their capacity with diners two metres apart. It's had a great impact on many of the events I've been working on uh, recently for various clients, uh, most of which have been cancelled or postponed. And also in Bordeaux, uh, the latest event to be called off is the En Premier campaign, when the trade travels to Bordeaux to taste the new latest vintage. This is quite a blow for the Bordeaux industry, as this is the chance to sell wine before it's even ready and build up hype for the new vintage. But maybe this is an opportunity to reshape how people taste the wines by sending samples out to the industry where they can be tasted in small groups and less stressful settings, and by becoming less reliant on one single event to support and promote each vintage. So if we can glean any optimism from the spread of the virus... It's that people may become more, more acutely aware of their impact on the environment, how unnecessary travel can be harmful, and that we need to think more creatively about how the economy and industries, including wine, move forward in the future. Maybe large trade events and constant travel are no longer the best way to sell and talk about wine. The coronavirus is, is affecting our lives on a daily basis and will have a huge impact on all our futures. Let's try and make those changes positive if we can. And one sector that is doing well are podcasts, and we know you need extra shows to listen to, so on with the news. 
The UK has two big concerns to face, Brexit and the coronavirus. In an attempt to combat their potential effect on the British economy, UK Chancellor of the Exchequer, Rishi Sunak, this week unveiled a budget in which the government's financial plans for the next year are announced, with a £30 billion fiscal stimulus to support the British economy. This follows 10 years of austerity and is quite a change of tack for the government, as is the decision to freeze duty on wine, spirits, and beer. Taxes on alcoholic beverages have routinely risen over the last 20 years, especially on wine. So this freeze is both welcome and long overdue. Sunak also announced support for the Scottish whiskey industry, providing £1 million to promote the industry abroad. Alongside these announcements, he raised the business rate discount for small pubs from £1,000 to £5,000 to prevent further closures of pubs across the country. Coincidentally, figures revealed this week that closures of pubs, bars, and restaurants slowed in 2018, with a fall in closures of 2%, with Manchester and Liverpool showcasing an increase of 20% in their licensed premises. However, across the UK, six sites a day closed in 2018, with drinks-led businesses most likely to be forced to close. For example, Oddbins, an iconic but long-troubled high street wine chain, went into administration in January and faces the prospect of going out of business if the current sale proposal does not go through by the end of March. So there's good news and bad news. It's very welcome to see taxes and alcohol not rising for once. The UK taxes wine more than almost any other EU country. For example, the average price of a bottle of wine is over £5, of which around £3 is tax. In a market as competitive as the UK's, it's very hard for retailers when so much of their sales on lower-priced wines is tax. And it's also great news that fewer pubs and restaurants are closing, and also that consumers are going to smaller and medium-sized chains rather than the big brands, which have been struggling. But of course, that optimism has to be tempered by the fact that the next 12 months and beyond look extremely unpredictable. I would have liked to be there to support some of those pubs, and but unfortunately our trip to... The UK has also been cancelled. The famous champagne producer, Louis Roederer, this week announced the acquisition of Napa Valley winery Diamond Creek for an as-yet undisclosed price. Diamond Creek was established in 1968 by Al and Adele and is considered a classic Napa winery in style and tradition. Al died in 2002, and the running of the winery passed to his wife, Adele, familiarly known as Boots, and her son, Phil Ross. After she died last year, Phil decided to sell the winery due to a lack of family interest in running it, and Louis Roderer seemed a natural fit, as the Brunsteins and the Roussard family, who own Roderer, have known each other for many years. Moreover, Louis Roderer wanted to add a Napa winery to his ever-expanding portfolio, which includes wineries in Mendocino, as well as Sonoma, barring Mary Edwards, another long-standing producer, just last year. And coincidentally, we went to Roderer Estate in Mendocino this weekend as part of our getaway trip. We're both agreed that they make the best sparkling wine in California, and we somehow walked away from the tasting room with three Jeroboams of their brute. It's my nephew's wedding coming up in June, so we had to be prepared. 
Rotorer Estate was the champagne producer's first investment in California, and they now also own Domain Anderson and Schaffenberger, another producer of sparkling wine, as well as Mary Edwards in the Russian River Valley. So given the reputation of Louis Rotorer back in Champagne and their track record in California, we'd fully expect a continuation and maybe even a gradual upturn in quality at Diamond Creek. And it is a shame that Diamond Creek has left family hands. But we're seeing this happen again and again among Napa Valley producers is is the issue of succession and the younger generations just not interested in taking over. So you can imagine why the family would be um, happier to get that money rather than striving to go into the next generation and kind of doing it all over again. So I understand their decision and they've sold to a very good producer, I think. Another winery purchase to discuss, this time from an up-and-coming region, Okanagan in British Columbia, Canada. Liquidity Wines has been bought by Anthony von Mandel, who founded the Hart Seltzer brand White Claw in 2016, a brand already selling $1.5 billion a year. In Canada, von Mandel has a portfolio of wineries under the iconic wineries of British Columbia group, including Mission Hill, Cedar Creek, Checkmate Artisanal Winery, Road 13 Vineyards Martins Lane, and now Liquidity. And Liquidity was founded in the 1930s, and their 17 hectares of plantings were replanted to vinifera grapes in 1991. And they make stale and sparkling wines from a range of varieties such as Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Pinot Gris, Viognier, Merlot, Riesling, and Dornfelder. The purchase is another sign of the growing success of Okanagan and British Columbia in general. There are now over 280 wineries in the province, compared to 17 back when Liquidity replanted to vinifera. As is common in Okanagan, there's also a bistro as well as an art gallery at the winery. Tourism is important here, with the wine industry contributing 2.8 billion Canadian dollars, which equates to just over 2 billion US dollars, to the economy and attracting over 1 million visitors a year. So I've never been to Okanagan, I hear it's a really beautiful uh, place to visit, but Katie, you have been there and you've worked with the local wine industry. How do you envision Okanagan expanding? Yes, I traveled to the Okanagan many times in the start of the last year, working on a strategic plan for the British Columbia Wine Institute, who really were looking for how to market their wines domestically and abroad and look at the future of of the British Columbia wine industry. And, you know, as you said, just as liquidity first replanted to vinifera grapes in 1991. That's really the story for many wineries in the Okanagan. Uh, Hybrids are still planted and used to be sort of the focal point, but now many wineries are focused on vinifera, higher quality, and they want to continue in that direction. And also with tourism, as you noted, I think this is a key part to the success of the region because the Okanagan is known for its beauty and uh, outdoor sports. Uh, Many travelers go there for skiing, for the lake, uh, all kinds of outdoor adventures. So wine tasting can become a part of that as long as the winery has sufficient infrastructure in place to host people. So it sounds like with this investment, uh, Liquidity Wines is going to be on the right path. I will say one thing that surprised me about this news, the founder of White Claw has wineries too. Had no idea. An occasional topic on the pod is wine fraud. 
as we've reported on a number of cases of producers being arrested or fined for faking the numbers. In New Zealand, Southern Boundary Wines has been fined $1.7 million New Zealand dollars, just over $1 million US dollars, after fraudulently mislabeling nearly 150,000 liters of wine between 2012 and 2014. The fraud included 100,000 liters of wine that did not comply with export eligibility requirements, over 10,000 liters which were not traceable to source vineyards, and over 20,000 liters of wines made from regional and vintage blending. The company, plus two directors and the winemaker, were charged in 2017 and pled guilty in July 2019. The ruling finally handed down this week. Former director Scott Berry was sentenced to home detention for 10 months and two weeks and ordered to pay reparations of 25000 New Zealand dollars. Andrew Moore received a sentence of two months and two weeks and ordered to pay 20000 New Zealand dollars, while winemaker Rebecca Cope received 200 hours of community service. It does reflect that this fraud is very important because it is the consumer really does need to know what's in the bottle and producers do need to follow the rules and especially when exporting when every little detail is carefully tracked so all these regulations may sound tiresome and they often are but if producers are breaking rules to cut corners to increase margins and they don't give the consumer what the consumer thinks they're drinking then these producers can do great damage to the wine industry and i have to say with the spread of the coronavirus it, that does demonstrate the importance of regulations to the food and drinks industry well, and New Zealand wine has kind of built its reputation off of offering value, but very high quality. And so that quality would be very difficult to regulate if there's people putting random grapes in their wines. Yep. And random vintages and random vineyards and random regional blends. There needs to be, with wine as with other drinks and other foods, a direct connection to where the product comes from and what is on the label. <laughs> And now for our wine of the week, which is the Baxter Pinot Noir 2016 Openlander Vineyard. So while in Mendocino this weekend, we of course wanted to do some wine tasting, and we visited a cute little wine bar in the town of Mendocino itself, as well as going to Rotorua Estate, as mentioned above. But in the tiny town of Philo, uh, it's basically one small street, which is in the heart of Anderson Valley, where some of the best Mendocino wines come from, we stopped off at Baxter, a winery we'd heard some good things about. And it wasn't the winery itself, but it's small tasting room. Um, but we did get to taste five of their wines, uh, four single vineyard Pinots, and surprisingly, a Montepulciano, which was excellent. Uh, I also think they make a Carignan, but we, we weren't able to try that one. Unfortunately not, that it was quite exciting to try Montepulciano from Mendocino. Um, but Katie had also bought some fresh oysters from the market across the road, so we had to choose which of the wines would pair best with the seafood. We opted for the Oppenlander Vineyard Pinot from 2016, and the Oppenlander Vineyard is located in Comchi, which is less than 20 kilometres from the Pacific Ocean. So there's a strong cooling influence, which makes the region ideal for restrained, elegant Pinot. And we picked this particular Pinot for its really fresh acidity, fine tannic structure and gentle fruitiness, far less opulent than a Pinot from, say, Russian River Valley. And that's important to go with those oysters, I think. Mendocino's wild, remote and a blast from California's farming past, but there's some extremely interesting wine being made there, and I was impressed by this range. But most importantly, Katie, how did the wine go with the oysters? 
Well, unfortunately, I wasn't successful when we picnicked earlier with this bottle, uh, though we did have some nice cheeses and some meats. Uh, the oysters, however, were a little bit difficult to shuck, so I had to wait till we got home. But I did just try what we had left over uh, with a few of the oyster, which I successfully shucked with the proper utensils, and it went very well with the Pinot Noir. Um, nice high acidity in the Pinot, which went very well with the oysters, I thought. And for those not familiar with oysters, they're very popular here in California, um, especially if you're on the coast, you get them really, really fresh, and that's what you were having. What does shucking mean? So shucking is simply removing the shell, the top shell, so you can have your oyster on the half shell. Um, and some people like to barbecue and, you know, bake them, but I just like them raw. And this tip actually came from Esther Mobley in the San Francisco Chronicle. Uh, she mentioned, you know, you just go across the road from the Baxter Tasting Room in Philo, and you can get a great a screaming deal, in fact, on oysters, on raw oysters. So we did that, and it was a great recommendation. So thank you, Esther. And what's funny about these California towns, especially in remote Mendocino, is only about six or seven buildings in the town and yet one of them has, happens to be a tasting room for really good wine and another is a market which sells fresh oysters and so there's always um, a catch to be found. Great place to hang out when we're doing social distancing. Cheers to that! So that's it for Wind Up Weekly this week. I'm Katie Canfield. I'm Matthew Gone. Join us next week for another Wind Up And in the meantime, we ask that you please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Uh, That helps other listeners searching for the news in wine to find us. Especially if the reviews are positive. That's right. See you next week. Cheerio!